Welcome to the Going Green Podcast. Today we're going to revisit peat and we're going to have a look at this idea about really whether should the sales of peat be banned and do we need to actually do something with basically restoring the peat sort of bogs, I suppose, of uh, this country and in fact perhaps other places as well. I was surprised when I was reading that leaving peat bogs sort of to dry out uh, is responsible for about 5% of all the UK carbon emissions. Well, yes, well, I'm, I'm honestly not surprised by that, by the fact that of how much it absorbs and how much it is absorbing carbon in regards to how much water absorbs carbon. And so Boglands being very full of water, how much of carbon absorbing are they doing? Well, I'm not surprised. You know, it's one of those unsurprising surprises. Uh, so, yeah. All right. So then let's ask a simple question. First of all, what is peat? Well, peat and how it's actually formed, it's formed from a special moss, sphagnum moss. And this is a lovely green, lush sort of carpet, and it absorbs carbon dioxide. It grows. It does really well. And then as it grows underneath, it sort of all goes brown and dies, and it sort of starts degrading as the more the peat sort of, well, the more sphagnum moss grows on it. And it grows really in Boglands, really lots yeah. of lots of water. Yeah, so so I think it's more sort of the as the plant grows upwards, all the bits underneath is just not start like, to degrade. Yes, they start to rot basically. It, but the the point about it because of how uh, this this moss essentially links together, it basically remove not removes the air. That's the wrong way to put it. It doesn't allow air into the underneath. And so instead of having aerobic respiration or, or, or degradation, it's anaerobic. So there's, there's, in that other words, there's no oxygen available. So basically, the peat doesn't produce lots of carbon dioxide, which is normal respiration, where animals, plants, and sort of bacteria, when they respire, they produce basically, water and carbon dioxide. Now, when it's done anaerobically, they don't. And this carbon dioxide is trapped as carbon and other carbon compounds in the peat. And this grows and grows and grows. Some of our peat marshes are some sort of five metres deep. Yeah, I, I, I was reading sort of how not they... You excavate it and more they it's more described as quarrying as yeah. opposed to actually sort of like a little just pick it up and no, there you're actually huge slice. And anyway, this peat is very good uh mixing into soil to improve soil quality because it's got all lots of this nutrients of the basically of dead plants in, in it, yeah. And so it's been spread all over the country, all over and quite globally in regards to peat as a uh, compound or thing in farmlands, in horticultural areas where 
instead of using um in industry fertilizer you can use basically peat as your fertilizer instead because obviously it's just a grading plant and that's what you plants use to actually make more plant is yeah soil improver as they like to call it so basically this peat which actually if dried can be burnt and many people used to burn it uh if we look at uh, basically burning different sorts of carbon uh, the worst type of uh, carbon you can burn is peat, uh, and then it's brown coal, black coal, and then through to sort of the much cleaner fuels that just, uh, like gas, which just produce carbon dioxide and water. But of course, all of them are producing lots of carbon dioxide. So why is peat in the news at the moment? Well. Basically, uh, the government brought out a report um, in 21st of February. There we are. And it was on the impact of the proposed ban on the sale of horticultural peat in England. Now, Scotland's got a different policy, but uh, I'm just going to take England for a moment. Is it England and Wales, isn't it? Or yeah, is it? yeah, yeah. When I say England, unfortunately, it usually does mean Wales. They sort of get carried along with us yes uh and basically the idea is looking at should we ban peat and one of the things that's come up in this report is well the amount of peat being sold has actually dropped drastically over the last few years uh they were talking about banning it before and now they're wondering about well is it honestly worth banning it because basically not many people are buying it well yes well i was actually reading there was actually another point about this is um essentially what the government been trying to do in apparently in 2010 they proposed a sort of uh ban because of course the peat the boglands were dying out and basically if you start excavating the boglands we have more boglands uh and that didn't get much really push so that didn't, you know, didn't come to effect. However, because uh, they wanted to stop all the Boglands mine or excavation, I should say mining, uh, by 2020, but that that failed to come out. So, but with the recent COPs, they've been talking about all the, the this peat and climate, uh, I said climate stuff, and essentially uh, they proposed a new consultation because obviously the previous one failed on the ban of, of, of peat and its use and this time it went from uh previously being no we need the peat to actually this time being yes we don't we don't need the peat yeah let's go and ban it so the government said all right in 2020 they said or i think actually 2018 is when it was actually proposed that in 2024 uh they were going to ban all peat or more say all uh, horticultural societies and those sorts of things uh from actually buying peat as in you know soil containing peat and so they did transition probably sort of five years and this is basically the industry itself has been transforming to use less peat in its products and that people are actually coming out and buying less 
Yeah, that's over the last three years. That's over the last three years. And so suddenly, not the threat of the ban, but the 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 sort of now we're looking at it and going, but people aren't using peat anymore. You know how much peat is being used, and it was sort of a two point four million cubic meters, right? And it's now down eighty percent of that. And even when they were talking about banning horticultural peat, there were so many exceptions to the the basic rule that quite a few sort of horticultural companies could still use peat. <laughs> that uh, well, we're almost there already, and places would have permit peat-containing sort of lots, yeah, systems or whatever, so that they could actually carry on doing that. But basically. The consumer demand for peat as a growing sort of material uh, is basically sort of shrinking to sort of the point where it's sort of, well, not existing. And this is also helped by a lot of the um, garden centres not actually selling peat. They have a lot of peat-free sort of alternatives or or those sort of things. And um, this is the major thing in having is they were trying to transition away and somehow it's come into the, the, the general population of the education of how bad using peat is and why we should be saving the wetlands that is actually, you know, cons- for conservation of the peat bogland has actually been helping to actually say people are now more wary about buying peat. And so that has been actually helping this this or, or they're going towards the ban you know to because that's what they're trying to ban it and so they need to make people use less and less but now because it's such a, a low level do we actually need to ban it because as in there are are there more exemptions required on this low level ban and this is the the point coming out from this is that is this where it's going is that no ban required because of market factors or how the world like free market exists but there is another in relation to point to all this is that let's say right is this only uk peat not say european peat as in we're importing european people not using uk or and digging up uk peatland and the answer is in europe it's exactly a very similar picture because they've also had a very similar go it's almost as if this came out one of the climate conferences who, who would have said uh and so they've been pushing on this and things and on the continent as in continental europe they've been using less and less peat as well and so suddenly you know the demand for peat all over has been substantially reduced till now could it be seen as moved into sustainable extraction or or better still doing the opposite which is actually starting to really grow are peatlands because they're a fantastic way of storing capturing carbon dioxide which is you know what we want to try and do uh we talk about all sorts of money trying to invest in sort of machines and technology to try and uh capture co2 but a peat bog does probably better than most of them and that's all natural and we don't really have to do anything apart from leave this land alone and not drain it uh 
or perhaps even possibly start to reflood some areas instead of sort of draining them for uses uh, for farming. Uh, the use of peat by gardeners really now has to be sort of seriously challenged, I suppose, because places like um, the all the horticultural centres, uh, botanic gardens and so on, they stopped using peat many years ago and they're they're actually thriving and so they're using other materials like pine bark which is a, a byproduct of uh, wood um, paper making and so on um, other fibrous woody materials have been used uh, i know that we've used um, the husks of coconut yes i was really just quickly saying you know the alternative to peat, which is poor people, is this what is known as qua, which is also coconut fibers, you know, the outside things of these things. And essentially, it's one of those things where people say, oh, it's not as good. And the answer is, well, it's not. But you've got to look at sort of what are you trying to not replace peat with, but what are you trying to use needing the peat to do? Yeah, and there's a huge sort of list of sort of stuff used. You know, are you looking for a good drainage soil, in which case these fibre materials are useful? You know, don't get me wrong, PT is also very good at doing so. But the fibre stuff is just as good an alternative. But, you know, and the point about having, using PT is PT is very good at lots of things all at once. And so if you need a place that needs lots of these problems that need to be solved you know sort of water holding having good drainage and those sort of things then peat's useful but if it's just dealing with say you want your soil to drain better you know peat's not necessarily the best thing to put in uh you know no, if, you, if you've got a really sandy soil you want to hold the water but if you've got sort of a clay soil like i have then basically uh, you, you want to get rid of as much water as you can and uh, putting in things like peat, which will hold the water, isn't probably the best choice. Now, it's been the go-to thing for gardeners for oh, many years uh, because it's made from rotted down plants, it's high in nutrients, and it's very good at holding moisture. And it's been the thing that you use in your hanging baskets. But there are lots of different materials that we can actually use instead. So basically, if you're trying to improve your soil's nutrient content, your drainage, then basic compost works just as well. And but what's the sort of, well, there's a lot of confusion. A lot of people don't understand the difference between compost, soil removers, mulches, uh, basically, um, all those things are effectively the same. And many of those things are made by local councils from all your food waste that you sort of just sort of would otherwise throw away. And instead of doing composting at home, which is what used to be done, well... By my grandparents or even their, I was say their 30, parents. 40 years ago. Yeah. Uh, wartime sort of Europe, I suppose. 
basically, um, nowadays, we don't need it in, in that respect. So people don't have the gardens. They don't do the composting. So now councils often do this for you. So compost is a really good and good thing. Then, as you said, coconut quoi is uh, really an excellent choice. Uh, but it doesn't have to be necessary yeah, from coconut. It is just oh, yeah. the bark of a tree, you know, the, the hard, outy, fibrous layer that is that well, can be done. I was going to distinguish between the coconut and bark. So you can actually just get uh, bark chippings. I know of uh, a friend who used to swear by sort of putting bark chippings all around his plants to sort of suppress the weeds. Um, didn't work because I know he was still out there weeding, you know, trying to get rid of the things. But it, what he did say, it did not get rid of it, but it cut it down dramatically. Uh, one of my mum's favourite ones, because she was, uh, when, when I grew up, we, ha we had a little tree in the garden. All right, it wasn't quite such a little tree. It was an enormous tree. And uh, when it used to shed its leaves, uh, we used to have a three-foot wall, brick wall, going round the garden. And going out in our front garden, the leaves were three foot deep. And uh, we used to sort of bag those up and try to compost some of them. And that made really quite good leaf mold manure and it acted also as a good soil improver and over the years when i was there i used to sort of basically i had a greenhouse i was a king gardener as a young boy and i would fill up a lot of my greenhouse with this rotting leaf manure and uh, it was brilliant and of course better than anything else it was free. Well, yes. Uh, we could even export it to all our neighbours. Uh, oddly, another one is sheep's wool. I didn't know this. Fair enough. Well, and I always feel it's really sad, but sheep's wool is a good alternative. Um, and the problem is that basically we don't use enough sheep's wool for things like jumpers now that's sad for me because i love my real sheep's wool jumpers they're my some of my favorites they're really warm uh paul is hoping for his next one it's uh it's coming off the the knitting needle soon mm -hmm. it's got a, a back and a front and it's got one and nine tenths of a sleeve and they're really warm, they're great, but they're expensive. And people therefore say, oh, well, I prefer to buy a, a wool jumper made of plastic. And therefore, basically, a lot of wool, sheepskin, basically, that is going to waste. And it isn't going to waste because it's now being put into, wait for it, this compost peat alternatives yes i think that's sad but uh it's still a good use of this material yeah so, so it's one of those things where 
you hear all these lovely things of what, but on all these alternatives is looking at what you trying to do you know it, it, as i said you know are you trying to replace the, the the soil improve the soil content in which case then there are ways of doing that or are you just trying to do drainage you know all these things yeah but this is why pete was chosen originally because pete could do all of this yeah and so it was great but we're finding that actually some places, yeah, they've already got good high soil quality. It's just they need improved drainage. And so you don't need to improve it to the sort of using all the peat. But it's just one of those things where if you're just trying to improve the drainage, just improve the drainage, you know, going through using all these, you know, these lovely fibers and things. But Well, there are other ways of coping with things. So... One of the things that's happened in this country is the peatlands, which are basically lowlands in Britain, they've been drained for agriculture and they've been releasing this carbon for years. But there is a different form of carbon uh, of farming. This is wet farming. And the idea is that you re-wet these peatlands and then you grow crops that tolerate really high water levels and the uh it, it, in greater manchester the the local wildlife trust now is starting to grow celery in the bogland that was drained for farming and you know it's it's ideal in in a culture where we're all sort of rather overweight then celery is a fantastic food to eat because it requires more energy really to digest than you get from the celery. So we're looking at this idea of perhaps growing celery there to try and sort of, and you can sell it, of course, uh, and make it sort of useful. And it's raising the water table. And this is then also preventing the peat releasing its carbon. So. It's a win-win situation. Uh, in the fens, then they're also thinking at the moment of re-wetting some old peat and then growing sort of other plants there. Uh, and this is sort of working quite well. So they're growing not just the sphagnum moss, uh, and that's really good because, A, it's fantastically absorbent, but is actually a natural antiseptic. And uh, if you were around in the First World War... Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then they actually used to use sphagnum moss on the bandages to try to sort of act as an antiseptic because basically, well, sphagnum moss was common and antiseptics weren't. Uh, so... It's, it's a great sort of thing that we can actually use. So there's that sort of idea of re-wetting the, uh, the peatlands so, and making them sort of, well, useful, useful I suppose. Yeah, I was going to say, yes, it's one of those things where by protecting them, by finding an actual use for the wetlands to be wet, and so therefore introducing basically rebuilding the bogs back up, you know, it's one of these little fantastic little ideas they've been doing. Uh, you know, and it is all in the name of 
because of how good peat is absorbing, uh, I say carbon, but it is carbon dioxide because it is how it works, is the sort of, you can see that reason that we're, we're now dropping off the low-hanging fruit of what we can stop emitting. Now we need to work out how to formally reduce of how much we can actually absorb of CO2. Yeah. So if if you are talk to people about which places in the world are the places that absorb the most CO2, uh, a lot of people used to say, oh, that's the tropical rainforest. And we know at the moment the tropical rainforests are being degraded badly. But, in fact, something that's better than the tropical rainforests at capturing carbon is the peatlands with sphagnum moss. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing for sort of growing. Uh, And you look at the size of that uh, and compare the size of uh, sphagnum moss with a tropical rainforest, and the sphagnum moss is actually doing sort of quite well. So it's it's a very good idea to try and improve these. And there are government grants going out at the moment trying to persuade farmers and other sort of landowners to start using their peat bogs, start, to start sort of flooding them again and start sort of waking up to the fact that we can actually do this. Uh, because when their peatlands are exposed to air, they release carbon dioxide. And the only way of trying to stop that is to make them really wet. And while they're wet, as Paul was saying, they're basically sort of very anaerobic and they capture all that carbon and they store it. And basically, this is crucial to our carbon sort of strategy. Not really much beyond sort of the idea that, you know, it's it's seen as sort of this, not goal, but it's almost as if we took one step backwards, actually two steps forwards in doing all these uh, ideas. And as I said, you know, We've always known government's been trying to sort out the the boglands for a while, and it's one of those things where it's been slowly gathering pace. But in the last five years, it's rapidly accelerated in pace. As in, you know, say how you get all the products that say you know peat-free compost. You suddenly loads of this is around, and that means less boglands being used up. And then we're finding try and restore the boglands yeah but four-fifths of all our if you like boglands are in a poor state four-fifths of our boglands are emitting carbon dioxide it's only sort of that one-fifth that's still intact and working that's doing all the good so we've got to try to sort of restore these peatlands and it will get rid of some of the farming. But it won't, because it just means that farming will be different. We won't produce so much, perhaps, cereal crops, but we might produce more, well, 
celery to last. Yes, that was a good one. Yes, I was waiting for you to come in with there. Uh, so we can do all sorts of clever things with this, and we're trying to sort of rebuild our peatlands. Scotland's doing its bit. They've got big peatlands. Ireland's got large peatlands. But in fact, the north of England and some of the south of England have got large peatlands that should be used. And at the moment, they're not. So there's some sort of things about peat, uh, giving you an idea of sort of where we are at the moment. Uh, the use of peat has gone down. Scotland's going to ban it. The UK was going to ban it, and now they're thinking probably not going to do it. At the same time, they are still on course to ban it. It's just they have been basically saying in review to about to start the legislation to ban it. It's seen as well, is should we ban it? Because, of course, is there any point? Is there any point in actually physically putting a ban in as opposed to letting the market dictate what's happening, as well as people's choices? on using things such as using peat or not to use peat. Oh. It's nice to see that people are effectively voting with their feet, and it's people that actually change the world. You've been listening to the Going Green podcast, looking at peat. Next week, we'll be back with another item on Going Green. Until then, it's goodbye from me. And a goodbye from me. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.